0: So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Brian Wallach first realized something wasn't right when he was preparing for a trial. He was scribbling notes furiously one day and his hand just cramped up. The cramping got worse and worse. Brian ignored it at first. He was young, mostly healthy, and really busy. He was a 36-year-old dad of two very young children. But soon it was hard to even grip a pen, and his wife, Sandra, told him he had to see their primary care doctor. That doctor told him to follow up with a neurologist. And that's when Brian heard news that he never could have imagined. Sandra was home with their two little girls at the time. One of them was just a week old.
1: I see him pull up and I run outside and I get in the car as he parks out front. Brian's like, The doctor that I just saw said he's 99% sure that I have ALS. And I'm like, What are you talking about? What do you mean? But he's like, well, the doctor told me that he doesn't know, but it could mean like I, I could I could have like six months to live.
2: Well you spent a lot of time crying. And then you spent a lot of time thinking. And then you spent a lot of time reassessing what you focused on. Obviously I, I didn't think I'd be thirty-six years old and then I'm facing somebody like AOS. But it became a, a true moment where you stop and say, What is important to me? And when I look back on however much time I have, what do I want to be able to, to say that I did with that?
0: I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. and Sandra met on the Obama campaign in 2008.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Let me express my deepest gratitude.
1: In Manchester, New Hampshire, the romance convention. capital of the world, he, the perfect- at the time, was serving as the political director of the 08 general election in New Hampshire. And I was the communications director for New Hampshire for President Obama and Vice President Biden at the time who were running for office. I was like, oh, who's this political director guy? I have like a type brown curly hair. Brian's hair was maybe the curliest I'd ever seen. It was almost like a done deal with the curly hair even alone. They
0: ended up working really closely together to elevate the candidates in the state.
1: My whole job and Brian's whole job was just to, like, work together for me to get the political community that he was supporting out in print and on radio and on TV. We were a team in 08. Got to know each other and then sort of started secretly uh, dating, but then clearly Quickly, not so secretly, because it was a pretty small team.
2: and A campaign is like a small high school, so (laughs) there are really no secrets. It's amazing. You know, we thought we were sort of secretive for about a week or so, and everyone's like, by the way, we know you're dating.
1: Well, before we even had a campaign office in New Hampshire, the office was Brian's house that he and seven other campaign staffers were renting. And so we called it the House Office, which ultimately became the Hoffice. Like, pretty hard to date secretly in the office.
0: When the campaign ended, it could have gone either way. Plenty of relationships begin and end on the campaign trail. But right as the campaign was wrapping up, Sandra decided to do something crazy, unexpected. She decided to invite Brian to her grandfather's 90th birthday party in Istanbul.
2: Why not? Sandra thought I would say no, because what a sane person would say, let me fly halfway across the world when we've been dating for about three and a half months, four months at that point in time, and meet your entire family, many of whom do not actually speak English, and I speak no Turkish. Um, I now speak like two phrases worth of Turkish. What she didn't realize was that I actually come from a family of foreign service officers, so the idea of travel was something that we did a lot as kids and that we always jump at. So my immediate response was, yes. And I think there was a long pause where she said, (laughs) cool. In that sort of like Ron burgundy asked way, where it's both a statement and a question.
1: (laughs) Well, so I also warned Brian that... If he came to Turkey, it would be a really awesome trip, but that he should be forewarned that my, like, extended family would wonder and ask probably straight up if we were planning on getting married or something since, uh, you know, I was bringing him to Turkey, like bringing him home to the family. And Brian said he could roll with it, and he did roll with it. When he first walked in the door, my grandfather cupped his cheeks in his hands and he like shook his face like he was like a lot of touchy (laughs) affection for just meeting someone. And then he started yelling things in Turkish and Brian's looking at me wondering what "What is your grandfather saying in Turkish? And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it.
0: Sandra didn't tell him what her grandfather actually said until months later.
1: What my grandfather said was... You told me he was handsome, but this handsome, I can't imagine. He is a prince. So I didn't want to, like, inflate Brian's ego at the time. I was still trying to play it cool.
0: That trip was a turning point. From then on, both of them knew this was more than just a fleeting campaign romance. By the time they both went to work in the White House, Brian knew he wanted to propose. He planned to do it up on Cape Cod, where he'd spent his summers growing up. One weekend, they ended up going there for a friend's wedding.
2: We went to the pond that I went to as a kid. We walked around the entire village or town, probably a better word for it. (laughs) And then we parked our car near the beach. And I got out of the car, and Sandra must have seen something in my pocket and probably <laughs> known that the proposal was coming because I fancy myself sort of a person who lives in the moment, but I'm not the most, like, romantic soul. So all this kind of build up definitely was a bit unusual, but, you know, that, I thought I was playing a cool still. I had steeled myself this moment because... Sandra, as you'll probably learn throughout our our conversation today, is one of the most ferociously intelligent, smart, funny people we ever meet. I was actually partially prepared for her to be like, I don't know, I'm I'm not quite ready yet. You haven't proven yourself. (laughs) So I worked up the courage to ask her to marry me, and she said yes.
0: They had a small ceremony in D.C. with immediate family, right in Brian's mom's backyard. Then they threw a party. A party party in Turkey.
1: We decided to invite a hundred friends who had never been to Turkey to join us for our wedding in Turkey. We got married in the south of Turkey on the Aegean Sea in a town called Bodrum and basically orchestrated a week-long vacation for 100 people. It was three or four nights of a different nightclub in Istanbul being overtaken by a 100 <laughs> friends and family. And then everyone flew to the south of Turkey where we partied so hard that we broke the dance floor at our wedding and pieces of wood floated into the Aegean Sea. It was an epic wedding and really wonderful.
2: I I distinctly remember a moment at, you know, the sort of post-wedding ceremony, mid-dance party, where I looked around and just thought, this is incredible. This is what you want in life, is to be in a place where every single person You know, not every single person, because some could make it, but the people you love are are there and are just in that moment with you in a way that is pure and good and awesome.
0: It's a good time to take a quick break. Be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. Before they got married, Brian and Sandra had been working down the hall from one another at the White House. Sandra is associate communications director and Brian is senior vetting counsel. But it wasn't long before Sandra got a new exciting job starting the Chicago branch of a national nonprofit.
1: And for a year, Brian and I were long distance. Brian was still in the White House counsel's office running the vetting team and I was starting this new organization in Chicago. And so we moved out of our DC apartment to apart from each other and in with our parents. (laughs) After the wedding, Brian was able to move to Chicago to join me.
0: They moved into a little bungalow in Andersonville. Brian ultimately got his dream job too as an assistant US attorney in the Northern District of Chicago. He worked day in and day out on gang cases and violent crime. Soon, they started working on trying to have a family.
1: We
2: had our first daughter. And then we had our second come along two years later.
0: Their second daughter had a little jaundice and ended up staying in the hospital an extra week. Brian had developed this hacking cough, and he was also having that problem with his hands, the shaking. So even in the midst of juggling a toddler and a newborn, Sandra insisted he go to the doctor. She called him right after his appointment.
1: And Brian was really quiet on the other line. And I got nervous, and I was like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm coming out of this doctor appointment, and he need to talk to you. And I was like, is everything okay? He said no. Brian is just, like, authentically the most positive, just, like, joyful person I, I've ever had in my life. And so for Brian to say that something's not okay is really jarring. And my heart just stopped. He was like, just, we can't talk about <clears> it. At this moment, I'm I'm going to drive home now and I'll see you soon. I see him pull up and I run outside and I get in the car as he parks out front. Brian's like, the doctor that I just saw said he's 99% sure that I have ALS. And I'm like, ALS, ALS, I don't know, I'm racking my brain. Like, what, what? what is ALS? And I was like, oh my gosh, ice bucket. Okay, wait, wait, that wasn't, was that not so bad? Like, It was ice bucket. Like, that was, like, we raised a lot of money. Things are good. Like, oh, phew. Oh, okay. And Brian's like, no, actually, it's really bad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And he's like, well, the doctor told me that he doesn't know, but it could mean, like, we would have, like, six months to live. How do you even comprehend that? And I'm like, "What what are you even talking about? And he's like, well, ALS or Lou Gehrig's is a neurological disease, and the average lifespan after diagnosis is two to five years, and it's currently a terminal illness. And I was like, what, what are you even talking about? I'm like, you, you went in there, like, the symptom, what was the symptom associated with It's Like, well, my left hand felt weak. Like, it kind of cramped when I used a pen. And I'm like, that's such a, like, it's a benign symptom. How can that be this terrible, terrible thing? So just, like, shock, disbelief. We got out of the car, we went into the house, and we just fell, you know, onto the floor just crying and holding each other.
0: An ALS diagnosis involves ruling out a lot of other things that could possibly be causing the symptoms. Things like an autoimmune issue or Lyme disease. Brian and Sandra spent the next few months consulting doctors, taking tests. But by November of that year, it was pretty clear. It was ALS.
2: We got that level of clarity, quote unquote, to be able to really accept that this was what was happening and to be able to start to think about how you adjust, rebuild, reframe, refocus, whatever word you want to use, life in light of that unexpected thing. We spent a lot of time crying. And then you spent a lot of time thinking. Then you spent a lot of time reassessing what you focused on. Obviously, I, I didn't think I'd be 36 years old and then I'm facing somebody like ALS. It became a, a true moment where you stop and say, what is important to me? And when I look back on however much time I have, what do I want to be able to, to say that I did with that? And that is where family, friends, community become so important.
0: ALS is a progressive neurological disease in which a person's motor neurons degenerate. It essentially paralyzes the patient and eventually causes death. About 5,000 people in the United States are diagnosed each year. The ALS Association estimates that about 20,000 Americans have the disease. Like I said, Brian was 36 years old. He had two daughters, one of them a tiny baby. He had everything to live for. He and Sandra also had all these skills from running successful campaigns and launching nonprofits, And they knew they could use them to maybe make a difference. Maybe a difference that would save Brian's life. Time for a really quick break. When we get back, we'll find out how Brian and Sandra decided to fight back against ALS. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance this is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Brian's doctors told him he didn't have much time left, but he wanted more time. I follow Brian on Twitter, and you should too, because so much of what he shares is about treasuring the time we all have left here, and really doing as much as we can to make the most of that time.
2: The question you have to ask yourself, and this is obviously me paraphrasing them, is do you think that you could take this setback and do something to help both yourself and others? I remember sitting down with under one day and saying, what, what if we actually did this? What, what if we go public with what we're dealing with and what if we try to use that as a way to help others in, in this fight? You know, what that means, I, I don't yet know, but would you be game to explore this with me?
1: We started to really wonder what our unique skills and background could bring to this fight that could accelerate the rate at which we find a cure. And... Brian just flew around the country meeting multiple times over with all the top doctors, scientists, advocacy organizations, just really trying to unpack, like, what is what is stalling here? What are the holdups? How can we help unstick the things that are stuck? Once we came to see very specifically how we could make a real difference in this. It just became hard not to do it, even though it was a new big lift amidst already being quite overwhelmed with what we were facing.
0: Earlier this year, Brian and Sandra launched IMALS, an organization dedicated to adding $100 million of new funding to ALS research within three years. Brian's average life expectancy after that initial diagnosis was two to five years.
2: The community has grown from about 50 of our closest friends to over 25,000 in six months.
1: I genuinely, authentically believe that what we're doing with IMALS will change the course of the fight. And I just really hope it does it fast enough to save our lives, too. I don't love working 24-7. I don't love having 10 jobs. I would love to be a normal couple that watches netflix series or has time to exercise or even enough time to remember to eat but hey it is what it is and if we have the capacity to change the course of the disease you know that's a gift that we've been given and and we are giving it everything we have so
2: on the awareness side, we want to raise both the awareness of ALS as a disease because we found in an initial poll that over 60% of people in the U.S. know little to nothing about ALS. And so for us, being able to to confront that reality and being able to change that is truly important so that we destigmatize the disease. But I also want to be able to help our society place ALS in the context of the broader fight against Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal dementia, multiple sclerosis, and beyond. Because the reality is these diseases all have scientific links. And if we find a breakthrough for one, it will enable us to find breakthroughs for all. And that is a truly huge thing in a world where, you know, I think the last stat that I heard was One in 15 adults alive today will be impacted by some sort of neurological disorder. We've been fortunate enough to work with some incredible congressional champions to secure an additional $10 million in funding for the DOD ALS program, which has passed the House. We're now hoping to get that passed in the Senate.
1: That's the biggest increase in ALS funding in government in many, many years. And we're only six months old as an organization. That is just a very concrete example of how we are getting things, important things done, and getting them done fast. Today, the couple works tirelessly, around the clock,
0: all while raising two small girls, to try to reach a goal that could help save Brian's life.
2: In some ways, it's a throwback to the campaign, where we spend nights together working on Press releases and plans and web copy and other things that we actually started doing when we first met 11 years ago now. We have met, and I continue to meet on a daily basis, the most incredible souls who hear the words, I'm sorry you have loss there's nothing I can do for you, go home and get your affairs in order, and say, no, I'm actually going to keep living, I'm going to keep making beautiful memories i'm going to keep enjoying my family and friends until i can and nothing in this life is ever guaranteed so i just have to enjoy what i have and i have to fight every minute to make that time as long as possible it drives me from the moment i wake up to the moment i go to sleep because i know that as hard as i'm working there are people out there working just as hard if not harder and that There are people out there that wake up in the morning and have a trichotomy and are are typing with their eyes. And if they can get up and do that, I am lucky enough to be progressing slowly. I can wake up and keep fighting with every breath that I have. And that kind of sense of empowerment, that kind of sense of purpose is not something I ever wanted to have, but it's something that I'm grateful for every day because the people that surround us are just... Amazing, inspiring, and humbling at the same time.
0: When Brian was first diagnosed, he was still working in his job with the U.S. Attorney's Office.
1: And that's a very challenging and taxing job for anybody, let alone someone who's now facing a terminal illness. We thought, oh my gosh, Brian can continue working, but this just is not the right job for us. And I was terrified that Brian would not be able to find another Job because we were going to be open that he had just received a terminal diagnosis.
0: Brian's former employer, the law firm Skadden Arps, they stepped up.
1: They brought him back on. Knowing the diagnosis, welcomed Brian back and said, we know what you're dealing with. We are here for you. You add value to our firm. We embrace you. We will support you. And they've even made IMALS a pro bono client so the the reason we are able to secure 501c3 status is because of the legal support for IMLS from Scadens. that changes everything for us and for so many people how the networks in your life respond to your crisis they can either wrap themselves around you or they can let you fall <clears throat> and we've been so fortunate to be wrapped tightly in this love and support from our network One thing that has been very hard for me to watch is we have another friend who's in this fight, actually a couple years younger than Brian, who lives in our neighborhood, also has a two year old. And his employer essentially pushed him out, right? You know, so I'm just keenly aware of how this very difficult time in people's lives can be made more difficult when the corporate community, the employers, of these ALS patients don't meet this situation with love, understanding, and support. How's the diagnosis changed your marriage?
2: Obviously, it's been hard. I can only speak from my perspective, but I, I know that for me, there are moments of difficulty where Simple things that I used to be able to do without thinking are actually complex now and where my capacity to be the partner that I've obviously dreamed of always being for Sandra becomes to some degree limited. But in other ways, it really enables you to embrace the beauty of even the most absurd moments in a way that I don't know if I would have had that perspective but for this event. This event was a sea change in the sense that you know the future became less defined, and so the present became all the more powerful. And that is an incredible, unexpected, un- sort of anticipated gift that I tried to live on. I-, I definitely failed. I definitely still get caught up in the uh, sort of other a lot, but that we have tried to, and by we I mean I have tried to embrace.
0: of getting married is imagining a future together a future that somehow feels safer and more real because someone else is sharing it with you
1: i always imagine brian and i in rocking chairs seeing our kids grow up and our grandkids and i always like just was counting on the fact that i wouldn't know how to handle teenagers but brian would so i was going to be fine it's very scary. How I manage is that I let that fear be there. I don't pretend that it's not real. But I often turn to Brian and I say, hey, Brian, we're going to live, right? And he looks at me and he's like, I think so. I think we're going to beat this.
3: This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza with special thanks to Brian and Sandra Waylock. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Ramsey Young. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J O. At committedpodcast.com. The ALS fight is led by amazing patients, scientists, and organizations. To find out more about them, visit www.imals.org. That's www.imals.org. And check out the ALS Encyclopedia. Together we can and will end ALS and beyond. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much.